Heavenly Father, help me uh, not to get in the way of your word, but speak clearly to us tonight as we uh, marvel at who you are and what you have done. Help us, Father, to see uh, you clearly and to have a high view of you as you have shown yourself in your word and move us to a right response as we look at it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, perspective can be an extremely insightful thing. Uh, it can alter how we view a situation or how we view a person. It can affect our behavior or even our entire way of life. Uh, in the early 1500s, Nicolaus Copernicus made an observation that would change how scientists viewed and studied our universe forever. He proposed that instead of the earth being at the center of the solar system and everything revolve around it, Actually, the sun was at the center, and all the planets and the earth revolved around the sun. And so this was totally outrageous for the time, but as the science continued to develop, it proved to be true. And so, like some ironic cosmic joke, this discovery boldly declared to humanity, you are not the center of the universe. You are not the center of the universe. Now, Philip Jensen and others have used this illustration as a metaphor for the sinful tendency of human beings to self-centeredness. And so a perspective shift is needed. And so as we come to Psalm 8, we zoom in on David's thoughts as he looks up at the stars. What he recognizes about God and about man brings the amazing perspective shift that we need. Because his aim is simple. It's to stir up awe in the readers or singers of this psalm as they look at who God is. And so from David's reflections, we'll see something unexpected in how God's glory is displayed, and then something immensely undeserved in man's destiny. So follow along in your outlines if you want to. How does David begin? Well, he begins by recognizing who is at the center of the universe. He begins with God, verse 1. Yahweh our God, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. As David looks at the night sky, he bursts into praise of God's magnificence and majesty. And notice that it is God's name that holds magnificence. Our names identify a person. Names embody who we are, don't they? When you hear a particular person's name, you uh, think about their character, their personality, their attributes. What name do you hear and are filled with good emotions and thoughts? I hear the name Louisa, and I think cheeky, sense of humor, musical, loves Jesus. Sorry if your name's Louisa, this is a bit awkward, but I think of my little sister. Uh, David hears God's name, Yahweh, and he thinks our God. Not a God, not some God, our God, the God of Israel. And he thinks of magnificence, so beauty, impressiveness, splendor. And God's name is always honored and exalted in the Psalms and throughout the Scriptures. In fact, the Jews would later withhold from spelling or pronouncing the divine name out of reverence. And it's no small thing that the third commandment upholds how we treat God's name, right? But why do we use it so flippantly? Uh, like the world around us, use it as a curse word. Don't we know who we're referring to? God's name is supposed to be sacred, not in a superstitious way, but out of awe and reverence for who he is. And beyond God's name, David also marvels at God's glory and majesty. 
He says that it totally covers the heavens. His splendor and kingliness is vast. It spreads across the skies beyond reach and beyond comprehension. If the size of the universe is some indication of God's power, then it is matchless. Our clue that this is David's big idea then is that he starts and finishes with the same sentiment. Verse 1, verse 9, God's magnificence and majesty. Uh, But then, out of nowhere, David points out a totally surprising way that this God acts. And it's to do with what he uses to stop his enemies. Look with me, verse 2. Because of your adversaries, what does he put in place? You have established a stronghold, or praise, from the mouths of children and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. Uh, Sadly, Avenger here isn't a good thing, not like these guys on our walls, but someone who's acting for his own advantage. Uh, But look at who God the Creator uses to silence his enemies. Yeah, that's right. Babies. Babies. I'm not sure if you've met uh, baby Harley Munns yet. Very, very cute, but also very, very fragile. Not really a picture of strength, right? Who in the world establishes strength and majesty through babies. God does. It might not make sense to us, but David understands. He comes down from declaring the cosmic display of God's glory in the heavens to its minuscule display in the weak and small things. And his point? Well, God is able to use the weak and seemingly powerless things of this world to bring glory to himself. It's actually his signature. We saw this in action in our New Testament reading, right? It's another standoff between Jesus and the religious leaders just after Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. Another clue about what kind of king he is. And the chief priests are complaining to Jesus. About what? Well, about children shouting in the temple complex, Hosanna to the son of David. Rather than joining their side, the response is, Yes, Jesus told them. Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of children and nursing infants. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. Our children testify to Jesus as king, while the educated religious leaders oppose him as king. And so Jesus' consistent enemies throughout his ministry, the chief priests and the scribes, are literally silenced by the praise of children. And David quotes Psalm 8 to affirm it. And as he does so, he declares himself as the God that Psalm 8 is talking about. If I didn't find the position of the chief priest so relatable, I would find this story quite funny. Uh, But the number of times I have been put in my place by little ones is less than ideal. What a great picture the past week has been of God's bringing glory to himself through children. More than that, God using so many of you in the service of the gospel during Kids Holiday Club to proclaim the gospel. And you've seen the excitement that kids have about Jesus, right? Seeing, singing Him praise and sharing Him with their friends. It's humbling. I think about the memory verses that they know and their keenness to pray, their innocent trust in what God's Word has to say. Again, it's humbling. God's glory is such that even little ones can understand it and give him praise. And God's wisdom is such that he uses the weak things of this world to declare his power. 
And so David has noticed that this is typical of the God of the universe. Remember, this is the guy God used as a shepherd boy to defeat Goliath. And so now he turns to draw another contrast between God's glory and something else small and weak, mankind. Again, he begins by contemplating God. Look with me from verse 3. He says, When I observe your heavens at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place. Now David is beginning to observe God's size and power, his order and his creativity. The vast heavens are just the work of his fingers. He just moves the moon and the stars into place. If David is struck by this as he sees it with the naked eye, how much more we with high-tech telescopes and satellites? Something I noticed when uh, flying over Tonga overnight, uh, at the lights at the bottom are very minimal, especially in comparison to Sydney. Just a few settlements here and there, and then vast stretches of black. Uh, but when you land and you look the other way, you look up, uh, the sight of the stars and the moon are awesome. When you get a chance to sit under a starry night or see a vast natural landscape, it makes you feel insignificant. And so this is the thought that feeds the question at the center of the psalm. The question heavy on David's mind, verse 4, have a look. What is man that you remember him? The son of man that you look after him? Now that is a question with perspective. Uh, David is absolutely enraptured that the God of the universe, the one whose majesty fills the heavens, the one who set the moon and stars in place, whose name is magnificent, would stoop down to have anything to do with man with weak, insignificant man. And what's amazing to me is that we don't ask this question enough, if at all. We never wonder why God would even bother with us. In fact, the view that we are at the center of the universe continues to seep into the minds and lives of even those in the church, let alone outside. The thought that, of course, God remembers and cares for us. That's his job. Or, of course, God remembers and cares for us. We're just so lovable. No offense, you're not. <laughs> I'm not. This idea that God acts and operates to serve us rather than the other way around. It's like the difference between cats and dogs, right? Uh, when you feed or care for a dog, he behaves like what he's thinking is, wow, these humans are so amazing to care and feed me. They must be gods. When you feed a cat, however... He's thinking, wow, these human beings are so weird to feed and care for me. We must be gods. <laughs> Self-centeredness is the default position of sinful humanity. But selflessness is the attitude of the person who recognizes who God truly is. So, do you have a high view of God, like David does? Because a low view of him means a low view of the sin that you think no one knows about. Do you have a high view of God? Because a low view of him means a low view of serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you have a high view of God? Because a low view of him means a low view of the mission of sharing Jesus with others. At the times I make excuses for my sin, question God's ways, or fail to treat others as I should, at the times I have thought too little of who God is and too much of who I am. And so the implications are much wider, aren't they? 
But brothers and sisters, let us strive and pray for a high view of God because that leads to a right view of everything else, of our sin, of who we are, of others, of mission, of service. And I do say this with great joy and encouragement, knowing that so many of you serve sacrificially, share Jesus boldly, and fight sin consistently because of your supreme view of who God is. Well, as David asks this great question, he finds that God does not just deal with man, but he does much, much more. Three things. First, David is amazed that man is even, verse 4 again, given a thought. What is man that you remember him, the son of man that you look after him? Uh, In the midst of holding the universe together and sustaining life, God remembers mankind. He's not just all-powerful, but he cares and provides The food that you eat, the shelter that you have, the clothing you wear, the breath that you breathe, all given by God. Second, man is given honor. Verse 5, you have made him less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. God doesn't just enable man, he elevates man. We're more than just mere animals. Even as small, weak creatures in the grand scheme of things... God has made man in his own image. You and I have worth and dignity because the creator has made us in his image. And so, made in his image, God does something more amazing. He shares his glory and honor with mankind. How? By giving them the authority to rule. Man is given authority. Number three, verse six. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Or the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Man is given the honored position of enacting God's rule over all animals, the environment, all the works of his hands. God doesn't just enable and elevate man, he enthrones him. And those of you familiar with Genesis would have been transported to Genesis chapter 1, right? And David would have known his scriptures well enough to be recalling this moment too, where Adam and Eve are given rule over the earth. It's an epic moment. God appoints them a massively important role. Uh, But there's something not quite satisfying as we reach the climax of this psalm, right? Uh, We look around and we see that man and woman do not have complete rule over the creation, do not have complete dominion. How do I know? Well, have you seen a huntsman spider drop into a group of people? It's not a picture of dominion. Uh, I've been knocked about by the flu this past week. Again, no dominion here. Or more seriously, the tiny mosquito that wipes out whole villages spreading malaria. A tsunami or earthquake killing thousands. Floods and bushfires. So how should we view this psalm then if it doesn't quite line up with reality? Well, we have to adjust our perspective, our final heading. If we stay in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Adam is cared for by God, given honor and authority, but he would turn from the God who gave him everything. The glory and power would get to his head, and he would make himself God. He would lose perspective, perspective of who God is and who he is. And so he would take God out of the picture completely. And this is the heart of sin, the heart that beats in all of us. 
And the result is a distorted and broken world, people who continue to live as if they are the center of the universe, not God. People like you and I. And so this is why we don't have dominion. Man is not just small and weak, but a rebel and a sinner against a holy God. But then, God would again unleash his signature move. He would express his majesty again through weakness in a way that David would not have imagined. Having made man in his likeness, he would take on the likeness of man and burst on the scene in the New Testament and the answer in Hebrews chapter 2. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, that is man, but we do see Jesus, made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of his suffering in death. A God lowers himself in the person of Jesus to point to himself as the way to restoration. Uh, in his loving kindness, he stoops down to save those who turn from him. By living in perfect obedience how we were supposed to live, and then by dying the death we were supposed to die, to win forgiveness and eternal life. I don't know about you, but David's question rings through my head again. What is man that you remember him, the son of man that you care for him? And we should ask this question with more weight, right? Knowing what God has done through Christ. So brothers and sisters, if you're ever tempted to ask, does God remember, does God care? Look at the cross. The writer of Hebrews says, this is why Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. Where the first Adam failed, Jesus, the last Adam, comes to embody the perfect rule and righteousness over all things. In his death and resurrection, he is exalted as king. And so under his feet, God places everything. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. And he, that is God, put everything under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now, the wonderful thing about Paul's words here are that those who trust in Jesus are united to him as his body. And so this is the amazing truth that means we will reign with him. This is the perspective shift then that we need. To see that this psalm points to the first Adam, our representative who rejected the God who made him, but then also the last Adam, Jesus, the representative of those who trust in him, the one who truly rules and reigns. If we pursue a high view of him, then we will have a right view of everything else. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your name is magnificent and your majesty covers the heavens. Please grow us in a high and biblical view of who you are so that we might have a right view of everything else. May we delight in who you show yourself to be in your word and who you have revealed yourself to be through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.